what is up and welcome back to beyond the arc with brandon silvers as always i am your host brandon silvers hope y'all had a great week had a lot of good feedback about the new visuals and the stuff that i've been working on for franchise tag uk writing the football breakdowns got another great show for you this week so let's go ahead and jump into it okay so it's time for us to talk about an epidemic that's sweeping the nation dare i say the world bad sports personality behavior Now, this isn't exactly new. Turns out sports personalities are human too. But as we've seen sports personalities become celebrities in their own right, we've also seen more scandals. And the only thing more ridiculous than the scandals themselves have been the apologies that have followed. The goat of this is former Cincinnati Reds commentator Tom Brenneman. During the first game of a 2020 doubleheader between the Reds and the Kansas City Royals, Tom was caught on a hot mic using a homophobic slur. This is certainly enough to get yourself a nice big piece of infamy, but his apology took things to a level I don't think we'd seen ever before. And it's been memed roughly 3 billion times since then, but for those of you who are unfamiliar, or even if you're super familiar and just wanna relive this incredible moment, Tom said, quote, as Holland takes over on the mound, I made a comment earlier tonight that I guess went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. If I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart that I am so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith. As there's a drive into deep left field by Castellanos, that will be a home run, and so that will make it a 4-0 ball game. I mean, what are the odds that Nick Castellanos hits a home run right in the middle of an apology for some big-time homophobia? Some might say Major League homophobia. But the apology raised even more questions about Tom than it answered. First of all, I haven't been doing this a long time, but one of the first things I learned was that you have to treat every microphone as though it's recording, or hot, as we say in the biz. So how did Tom, who has been in the industry since before I was born, not know this? Tom's a Nepo baby too, as his dad was a broadcaster for the Reds himself, so he definitely should have known. It reeks of unprofessionalism. But then he hits us over the head with extreme professionalism by insisting on calling the home run in the middle of his apology. Nobody would have blamed him if he had just let that one go and got through what he was saying. But no, Tom had to call it. Now, he did continue with his apology, finishing up with, quote, I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight, I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. This is not who I am, it never has been, and I'd like to think that maybe I could have some people that that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. And sure enough, he was fired. But what a moment, the gold standard for ridiculous sports media apologies. As I've said, we've had some other sports media members embroiled in various forms of scandal recently, so I want to take a look at what they did and how they handled it and compare their apologies on a scale of Tom's. Now, I say on a scale of Tom's, and it's important to note the criteria for our grading system. Things like sincerity and becoming a better human from the scandal play little to no role at all. This is purely about their level of ridiculousness and entertainment. We'll be taking into account both the scandal and the apology. First up, we've got probably the only person out here outworking Pat McAfee, Stephen A. Smith. 
Now, Stephen A. says a lot of stuff that he probably should apologize for, but the fact that this is one of the few times he's actually chosen to apologize is fantastic. He was on Sherry Shepard's daytime talk show promoting his new memoir, Straight Shooter, because of course it's named Straight Shooter, when he was asked what he thought about Rihanna performing at this year's Super Bowl. He heaped all kinds of praise on her, but because he's Stephen A. and he can't do anything without giving a hot take, he ends all this praise by saying, quote, there's one thing she's not, she ain't Beyonce. Which seems a little unnecessary, but okay, he's part of the beehive. Now the audience didn't take it well, and neither did Rihanna's stands, known as the Navy, and they were all on this man on social media. In the grand scheme of things, this didn't seem like much of a controversy to me, particularly when Stephen A says more divisive stuff every day as part of his job, but I guess the Rihanna Navy is more powerful than Cowboy Nation because he felt compelled to apologize. And what an apology it was. A three minute video taken in what appears to be the back of a van one might use for a bank heist and or a stretch limo. He starts off somewhat defiant talking about getting done with first take that day and seeing a headline circulating all over the place about his comments and that he was just going to own it because he quote, knows what y'all are trying to do. Now I have no idea who the y'all is that he's referencing or what they're trying to do. And he quickly switches gears to addressing Rihanna personally striking a very contrite tone. He tells her that she's a superstar, she's sensational, she's spectacular, and this is exactly how I imagine the announcer from the NBA Jam arcade game apologizing to his wife after she's discovered his affair. He also tells her that she's a worthy choice to do the Super Bowl halftime show. I know she was probably pretty concerned about Stephen A's opinion on her worthiness for this halftime show. She's probably had many sleepless nights wondering if she could live up to the standard of the Black Eyed Peas and Katy Perry's who have come before her. Well, rest assured, Riri, Stephen A thinks so. Then he pivots to explaining how his comments came to be in the first place. He was answering a question from Sherry Shepard. She took over the Wendy Williams show for Wendy Williams. I didn't have to look any of that up because Stephen A tells us in his apology for some reason. He's also very proud of Sherry because she's got her own thing going on now. At this point, I'm unclear as to whether or not he's still just talking to Rihanna or if the rest of us are also here. There were also a bunch of sisters, as Stephen A calls them, in the audience, which absolutely reminded me of this meme showing a young Stephen A where it says that he looks like the type to say, why don't y'all act like gentlemen and let the ladies go first at the barbecue? He then declares the full extent of his Beyonce fandom. He doesn't just think that she's a phenomenal performer, but the phenomenal performer. And he only compared the two because Beyonce has performed at the Super Bowl halftime show before, so anybody who performs there is going to get compared to Beyonce. She's the Stephen A. Super Bowl performance gold standard. He also keeps bringing up Bruno Mars and Coldplay since they performed alongside Beyonce, but I don't really think he's comparing anybody to them. He then lists some more people who he would compare to Beyonce, a reanimated Michael Jackson and Eminem made the list. Eminem is one of Stephen A's favorite, which actually isn't too surprising. He went on to confirm my suspicions about how he views Bruno Mars and Coldplay by saying that they needed Beyonce to be part of their performances. He goes on to say he meant the comparison is no disrespect towards Rihanna, so I'm guessing he's back to talking to the rest of us now. He again reiterates that he knows she's phenomenal. He wants us to know he has nothing but love for Rihanna. Then he provides another explanation about how Beyonce is his goat. And that doesn't mean he's hating on Rihanna and that she's gonna do a great job. Now he pivots back to addressing Rihanna personally, encouraging her to go do her thing and apologizing for creating a quote, brouhaha. 
He ends with more pleasantries and words of encouragement, but he has to go now because he's Stephen A. And it's been three fucking minutes. Fantastic work by Stephen A. But where does it rank on the Brenneman scale? How many Toms does it get? Well, the scandal itself is pretty benign compared to Tom. We're talking about entertainers versus homophobia here. However, it is wildly more entertaining. Just a completely unforced error on Stephen A's part. He didn't have to mention Beyonce at all. He's either a huge Beyonce fan, like he claims, or he did a wild miscalculation and he thought that the audience was full of Beyonce fans and that he was gonna win them over with that. Music might be the only thing whose fans are crazier than sports fans. I mean, we debate Jordan versus LeBron or whatever, but stand culture around artists is next level. I can tweet something about an athlete and nobody's really gonna care, but you go tweet something negative about Nicki Minaj and tell me what your mentions look like. You're gonna have to shut your account down. So the fact that he threw himself into the middle of something like this, again, unprompted, is hilarious. And these two already have a little bit of an unspoken rivalry and also fan bases that have names. I mean, what do you call a diehard Jordan fan? Exactly, but you know who the Beehive is and the Navy. He got himself way in over his head and you know how we know that for sure? Because he apologized. I told you, this is a man who doesn't apologize for anything, especially not a hot take where he's saying X is better than Y. But I tell you what, he saw what his mentions were looking like and he hopped right into the back of that stretch getaway vehicle and got to apologizing. As for the apology itself, long-winded to say the least, just full of unnecessary details. It felt like I was listening to a Wikipedia page. I don't need to know about your relationship with Sherry Shepard or her relationship with her own talk show. She probably doesn't want this kind of press either, I'm guessing. Then, as I pointed out many times, who are you talking to? Us? Rihanna? What's going on? He also loses points for not mentioning that he's a man of faith. That's a staple in these apologies. You fuck up, you gotta hide behind God. I don't make the rules, he does. So, Stephen A scores well in the entertainment area, but loses points in the apology for basically being himself. Overall, not bad though, so I'm gonna give him 7.5 times. Next up, we have Stephen A's former debate partner, Mr. Skip Bayless, again, a hot take artist not known for backing down at all. So what happened? Well, during the Bills game where DeMar Hamlin collapsed and had all of us thinking we had just straight up watched a man die on the field, Skip fired off this tweet that said, quote, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. Now, as I said, we're all watching this game thinking DeMar is gone. Thankfully, he's not, but nobody really cared about the game at this point, and the last part of his tweet acknowledges that. So why even tweet it in the first place? And of course, everybody was in his mentions letting him know how shitty they thought the tweet was. And the tweet sucked, but I think it really blew up because everyone is just so sick of Skip's shit. I mean, he spent his whole career trying to get people riled up, trying to make people mad. And not too long before the Hamlin tweet, Skip was catching hell on Twitter for disrespecting his current debate partner on FS1's Undisputed, Shannon Sharp, when they were talking about Tom Brady. Shannon was talking about Tom's bad performance that week. I don't even know which week it was because he had a lot of bad weeks this year. And Skip told Shannon that he was jealous of Tom because Tom was still playing at 45 and Shannon had to retire at 35. Shannon flipped out, reminding him that he was in the NFL Hall of Fame and won three Super Bowls. 
They went back and forth with Skip reminding Shannon over and over again that Tom was a better player than Shannon had ever been, which I mean, okay, but who can't you say that about? Shannon was one of the greatest at his position ever. And it's not like there's a gang of players out here playing at 45. Tom's the only one. It's like someone complaining that you can't play basketball as good as Michael Jordan or LeBron. Now these two yelling at each other is normal. I mean, that's the show. But Shannon was yelling about how Skip always takes personal shots and he took his glasses off and Skip did not look like a person who was expecting Shannon's reaction at all. I mean, he was hitting these Mariah Carey high notes when he was yelling. It looked very real to me. And another reason why I think the beef between these two is real brings me back to Skip's tweet. Skip tweeted this during that halted Monday night football game, so everyone was waiting to see what would happen during Tuesday's show. Show comes on Tuesday morning, and there's no Shannon Sharp, basically letting Skip face the music alone. And Skip starts off that show by saying he wants to apologize on the front end if what they do offends anybody because they were going to try to do the show that they normally would do despite someone nearly dying on the field the night before. He talks about how shook up he was by what happened and how it took a lot of consideration or whatever for him to decide if he was actually going to do the show that day. And to me, it also sounds like he's trying to make himself cry, but he can't quite do it. And then when he's finally done talking about how hard it was to even decide whether or not he was going to do a show that day, he says that he's going to get through it with the help of the audience and he welcomes them to tweet at the show and let the show know how they felt about what they saw on the field. And every time I watch this part of the apology video, I bust out laughing because why even say that? Hey guys, we may have seen someone die on the field last night. It was traumatic for all of us, and I almost wasn't able to do the show that I somehow get paid millions to do. But here I am. And if you would like to help us turn this traumatic event into content for free, please tweet at the show using the hashtag What's Wrong With Society. Now, if you notice, there's no apology in there for the Hamlin tweet. Just an apology if you were offended that they're going to be doing a show that day. The only mention of the tweet in question was a follow-up tweet that he posted saying, quote, Nothing is more important than that young man's health. That was the point of my last tweet. I'm sorry if that was misunderstood, but his health is all that matters. Again, everything else is irrelevant. I prayed for him and will continue to. Another man of faith, I see. But again, this isn't an apology either. More of an admonishment of us for being too stupid to understand his previous tweet. So what's going on? Was he ever sorry? We found out the next day when Shannon returned and he started off saying that he missed the previous day's show because of what happened to Hamlin and it had hit him differently as a former player himself. He then said, quote, Skip tweeted something and although I disagree with the tweet and hopefully Skip will take it down. At this point, Skip jumps in immediately to interrupt him to say that he wouldn't be deleting the tweet because he stood by what he said and that he had only clarified the tweet because his bosses had asked him to and they got into a nice little back and forth because Skip straight up admitted that Shannon had blindsided him by bringing up the tweet again. Now, I don't know why you wouldn't expect Shannon to bring it up. People clearly wanted to hear his thoughts on it, and it's not like the news cycle had moved on, so he was going to talk about it. But Skip put to bed any notion that anybody may have had that he was sorry about the tweet right there. So off the rip, he's losing points on the Brenneman scale for not actually apologizing. In fact, he doubled down on what he said when confronted by Shannon. The first rule in apologizing is you have to apologize. You don't have to be sorry, but you do have to apologize. Now he gets slippery points for trying to Trojan horse forgiveness from us by preemptively apologizing for covering sports the day after in a way that may lead people to believe he was apologizing for the tweet. 
I mean, that's next level shamelessness if you ask me. He also gets points for commitment to the bit. I mean, he plays this shitty man on TV and he's not gonna stop for anything. He's probably just shitty. But I don't know how you overcome the lack of apology. Do better. After consulting with Jalen Rose, I've decided to award Skip 1.4 times. So let's go ahead and update our leaderboard real quick. We've got Stephen A. Smith comfortably in first place over his former co-host, Skip Bayless. Could Skip's current co-host, the aforementioned Shannon Sharp, beat that? Well, he tried to beat something during the Lakers-Grizzlies game not too long ago. Shannon is a huge LeBron fan, oftentimes supporting him against Skip, and he's also Shannon Sharp, so he had courtside seats to the game. Now, I mentioned Shannon was a Hall of Fame football player, but he was also a Hall of Fame shit talker. And back when he was on the Broncos, they played their rivals, the Kansas City Chiefs, who featured all-world pass rusher, the late, great Derek Thomas. During the final drive of the game, Shannon started reciting the phone number of Derek's girlfriend a single digit at a time before the snap. Derek got three unnecessary roughness penalties on that drive as a result of his reactions. Now that's next level. I'm not even sure I would do that. I mean, maybe when I was younger, but not now, because now I know that men like to kill. That's also something that wouldn't be done today because memorizing phone numbers is a lost art thanks to technology. I used to have everybody's phone number memorized. Now I can only tell you Mike Jones. Anyways, I tell you that story so that we all understand the trash-talking menace that we have here in Shannon Sharp. And we also have a worthy adversary on the other side in the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, not too long ago, the Grizzlies felt like the young team that everyone loved, but they have managed to shit-talk themselves out of that spot, I believe, overtaking the Phoenix Suns as the most prolific trash-talking team in the league today. The problem with the Grizzlies and the Suns before them that people seem to have is that neither team has won anything yet, and we want our trash-talkers to have solid resumes. Also, they've gotten the label of being fake tough guys. Now, I'd say there have maybe been 10 basketball players in the history of the world who were actual tough guys. Basketball players notoriously do not want to fight can't risk breaking your hand. That was always my thinking at least. Knowing that, I guess what we're doing is calling the Grizzlies the fakest of the fake tough guys. Not sure I'd want to hang a banner for that, but whatever. So what happened between them and Shannon? Well, according to what Shannon told ESPN's Dave McMenamin, quote, they don't want this smoke, Dave. They do all that talking and jockeying, and I ain't about that jockeying. It started with Dylan Brooks. I said he was too small to guard LeBron. He said, fuck me. I said, fuck you back. He started to come at me, and I said, you don't want these problems. And then Ja came out of nowhere talking. He definitely didn't want these problems. Then the dad came, and obviously he don't want no problems, but I wanted anything they had. Don't let these fools fool you now. Now, I can confirm from my own eyeballs that most of this is true, but let's clarify some things. First of all, Dylan Brooks did not appear to want those problems as he went directly to the locker room after this exchange occurred. Morally and logically, I know that this was the right thing to do. However, I wanted to see Dylan Brooks get his ass kicked, so my natural instinct is to call him soft for leaving the court. As you can sense from this quote, I hadn't seen Shannon this fired up since he had been compared unfavorably to Tom Brady. But he did forget to mention one Grizzly who was front and center of all this just as fired up as he was. And it was someone who I'd consider to be the quietest of the bunch. Granted, when you're as big as Steven Adams, I imagine you don't have to talk too much. But he really doesn't get into too many kerfuffles or brouhaha, so it was wild to see him so pissed off. He's nearly seven feet tall, and he's generally regarded as one of the strongest, if not the strongest player in the league. He also looks like Cal Drago of Game of Thrones, and he looked even more like him during all this because he made the unprecedented move of letting his hair down. 
I've never seen anybody do that pre-fight before. Normally, and obviously I'm guessing here, but the hair goes up to stay out of your eyes and not get easily grabbed. So this struck me as odd. I'm thinking maybe he did it to appear even bigger. And it appeared to have worked. I mean, Shannon is jacked. We're talking about a former NFL tight end. He still works out like he plays. The internet tells me that he's 54 years old, but he's also 6'2", 230, and it's all muscle. But he looked like a toddler compared to Steven, and he didn't give him any real attention when all this was going on. I don't know how much Steven actually wanted to fight either, though, because he was tossing off security personnel like gravity didn't exist, but he didn't actually get close enough to Shannon to touch him. Now, Shannon also mentioned a dad coming in. Whose dad was it? Certainly wasn't mine. Well, it was Ja's dad, T. Moran. T obviously loves attention. This is very apparent, and I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, he's been a great dad by all accounts. He just seems like someone who I might like more in smaller doses, and seeing him out there arguing with Shannon really reaffirmed that for me. And Shannon was right. T did not want those problems at all. Shannon might be small compared to Steven Adams, but he's big compared to normal people, and T is normal people. Thankfully, there were no real problems because security came and got Shannon and they had a long talk with him, but they didn't kick him out because he's Shannon Sharp and he made up with T. Morant before the fourth quarter started. As for T. Morant, he told Dave McMenamin, quote, Shannon didn't do anything. Hey, he was doing like we do in South Carolina. We talk our shit. South Carolina stand up. And just like that, I am back on the T. Morant bandwagon. Now, Dylan Brooks has some things to say postgame and for some reason dressed like if Ice-T played the role of McLean in Die Hard while doing so. Here's a photo for comparison. Can you tell which one is which? What if I told you these were both the same picture? Anyways, he called Shannon both a blogger and a regular pedestrian. Now, neither of these feels especially insulting. He seemed to be trying to convey that Shannon is nothing special, but I believe civilian was probably the word he was looking for. And how did Shannon respond? With his apology. He had seemingly calmed down after giving Dave McMenamin that quote, and he showed up to work ready to do what Skip could never. Skip was there for Shannon's apology though, for whatever that's worth. And Shannon started off, quote, as you probably have heard or seen, Friday night at the Lakers game, I want to apologize for my behavior. You know, guys, I've preached for the last six and a half years, responsibility and accountability. Now, to me, this seems like a direct shot at Skip's non-apology, the rare apology shot combo. Very skilled. Moving on, he says, quote, I take full responsibility for what transpired. It does not matter what Dylan Brooks said or how many times he said it. Me being the responsible person, me having the platform that I have and having so many people look up to me, I was wrong. I should have lowered the temperature in the arena. Instead, I turned the temperature up and I let it get out of hand. This is also an incredibly skilled passage. He takes responsibility in everything you want him to do while also sneaking in there. Oh yeah, Dylan Brooks was talking shit though. So smoothly that you almost don't even notice it. Almost. This right here would have sufficed, but like Stephen A, he just kept going. He couldn't stop apologizing. He apologized to the Lakers organization, who are actually the ones who owe us an apology in my opinion, but whatever. He apologized to Jeannie Buss individually and the Buss family as a whole. He apologized to the fans that were there and the ones like myself who watched on TV. He apologized to the Grizzlies organization and their fans in case there were some who weren't watching or in attendance, I guess. He apologized specifically to Dylan Brooks and complimented his competitiveness and wished him continued success. He lost me at that part. He apologized to Ja and talked about how much he enjoys watching him play. We're way past over apologizing at this point. The number of people who have received one without even earning it is in the millions by now. 
but he just kept going. He apologized to his stylist for no other reason than I guess he was in attendance as well, and this may have harmed his reputation, and he wasn't covered in the previous attendance apology. He apologized to LeBron, and he's literally the last person on this earth who owes LeBron an apology. Also, where's Skip? He always wants to interrupt him. Where is he now when we need him? But wait, there's more. He apologizes to his family as a whole, then individually, including to his grandson for whenever he's old enough to see video of this. That's next level, a preemptive apology. This kid, I'm guessing a baby, has no idea this even happened and he gets an apology. Last but not least, according to Shannon, he apologized to Turbo. I can only assume that Turbo is what the name of the main character of Die Hard would have been if he had been played by Ice-T. And he finished up with more words about the harm he's done and how sorry he is and good lord, this is exhausting. So how did he do on our Brenneman scale? First of all, entertainment value off the charts. This is the most entertaining situation we have so far, leapfrogging Stephen A. As I said, I was watching this game. It was only planning to watch until halftime and I was mere seconds away from taking my contacts out when all this went down. And because of it, I stayed up and I watched more of the game while I was scrolling Twitter. Now the apology itself was a doozy. This man is a volume shooting apologizer, full on AI status. He owes us an apology for apologizing too much. Reese Hoskins holds the Major League Baseball record for slowest home run trot at 34.2 seconds. If Reese had the comedic timing of Nick Castellanos, he could have circled the bases like six times with how long it was taking Shannon to apologize, and that is unreal. Huge points deduction for that. Does make up some ground though with how genuinely sorry he seemed. It felt almost legally binding. But how many times? Look at that, we have a new leader with an incredible 281-330-8004 times Mr. Shannon Sharp. And we have one last Brenneman evaluation. We're going to take a look at NBC football analyst Tony Dungy. So the general consensus on Tony is that he's a good person simply because he's quiet and polite. Now he may very well be a good person. I certainly believe that nobody is 100% good or evil, but he has a history of saying bigoted shit, so he's probably not quite as good as public perception makes him out to be. And it's important to note that people were already annoyed with Tony because he and Al Michaels called the Jags Chargers playoff game with all the excitement of someone on Benadryl listening to Tony Dungy talk, even though it was one of the most incredible comebacks in NFL history. He was already on shaky ground because of that and immediately decided to follow that up by speaking at a March of Life rally. Now, I disagree with Tony Dungy and his thoughts on abortion. I'm very much pro-choice and I've made that clear, but I'm going to try to keep my personal feelings out of this as best as I can. The way he chose to frame his argument was what really got people riled up, at least the people who were able to stay awake while Tony was talking. He said, quote, an unbelievable thing happened that night, a professional football game with millions of dollars of ticket money and advertising money on the line. That game was canceled. Why? because a life was at stake and people wanted to see that life saved. Even people who are not necessarily religious got together and called on God. That's exactly why we're here today. Because every day in this country, innocent lives are at stake. The only difference is they don't belong to a famous athlete and they're not seen on national TV. But those lives are still important to God in God's eyes. Turns out people were still pretty traumatized, people other than Skip Bayless at least, about seeing someone needing to be brought back to life on national TV, and they didn't appreciate Tony making this terrible 
apples to oranges comparison. But Tony wasn't done. He hopped on Twitter and saw a tweet talking about a bill in Minnesota that would require menstrual products to be placed in boys' bathrooms at school. Mr. Polite Tony Dungy replied to that with a now-deleted tweet saying, quote, That's nothing. Some school districts are putting litter boxes in the school bathrooms for the students who identify as cats. Very important to address every student's needs. I, for one, am impressed with how stupid he managed to be in such a short tweet. First of all, nobody, except for Channing Crowder, is identifying as a cat. This is a ridiculous right-wing conspiracy theory. There are no litter boxes in school. This is flat-out false. Also, someone please explain to me how every embryo matters, but a living, breathing child who has needs does not. You know whose lives are still important to God in God's eyes? Trans kids, LGBTQ kids. Sounds like Tony has beef with God. I can't imagine God cares about tampons in the boys' bathroom. He's probably too busy with Deion Sanders anyways. And why should any of us care about menstrual products in the boys' bathroom? Has anyone ever suffered because of a tampon in the boys' bathroom? It'd be the safest thing in a school in this country. There were 51 school shootings last year that resulted in injury or death, according to edweek.org. Tony ended up deleting the tweet and posting an apology tweet. Let's take a look at that. He said, I saw a tweet yesterday and I responded to it in the wrong way. As a Christian, I should speak in love and in ways that are caring and helpful. I failed to do that and I am deeply sorry. So let's break this down. First of all, overall scandal is not particularly entertaining. He stays true to himself by choosing incredibly boring and played out talking points. He is, however, the only one of our group here today to really nail the Brenneman mentioning of how religious he is. So he's going to get some points for that. However, he never apologized for the Hamlin abortion comp, so that's going to be a deduction. Now let's look at what he apologized for and if it is actually an apology. The I responded to it in the wrong way doesn't take a whole lot of accountability. He doesn't even address that what he said was actually wrong and a harmful conspiracy theory. Again, he mentions his Christianity and how that means he should speak in ways that are caring and helpful. That would certainly be nice. And he does admit that what he said failed to meet that bar. And he's deeply sorry for it. So that's something. This is very Brenneman-like, actually. We might have a new leader. So let's take a look at it again. Wait a second, what is this? Okay, so this is clearly a screenshot of an incoming text message. A poorly cropped one at that. These are not Tony Dungy's words. I don't know whose words they are. This is plagiarism. So I'm going to have to go ahead and disqualify Tony Dungy. And you know what else? I was trying to be civil, okay? But I hope they make life-size replica Pez dispensers of Tony Dungy and his stupid face and they fill them with tampons and they stick them in every men's bathroom in this country. At least then something entertaining and helpful will come out of his mouth. Imagine doing all this Christianity talk and not even using your own words to apologize. Jesus didn't have his PR guy hop up on the cross for him. What a disgrace. All right, so let's take a look at our final leaderboard. We've got Shannon Sharp coming in first with the most Toms, followed by Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless with a pathetic showing coming in third, and a disqualified Tony Dungy shamefully bringing up the rear, which is funny because he thinks that bringing up the rear will get you sent to hell. And that is going to do it for this week's episode of Beyond the Ark with Brandon Silvers. Appreciate you for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share, leave a comment, screenshot me a text from your PR person, all that. And I will catch you next week.